Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast, our weekly show about how technology is changing the creative industries. Today on the program, I'm speaking to Natasha Frank, founder and CEO of Eon. Eon is a US-based traceability company that has spent the past seven years developing technologies that are now in high demand. Natasha is working with brands like Balenciaga and Coach on transparency projects, and with the upcoming EU legislations, she's ready to take on the wider European fashion industry. In this conversation, we talk about the commercial opportunity of digital twins, the challenge of producing more revenue and less physical products, navigating the EU legislations, and how to develop digital product passports. My name is, as always, Konrad Olsson, Editor-in-Chief and Founder of Scandinavian Mind. All right, before we go into my conversation with Natasha, which I consider one of the most thoughtful and forward-leaning innovators in the industry today, I just wanted to reflect a little bit on why we are focusing so much on software right now in the feeds of Scandinavian Mind and in the podcast and in the upcoming transformation conference that's happening later this year. I wrote a column about this at the end of last year uh, titled How Boring Tech Will Save Fashion in 2024. So from that kind of, uh, I don't know if it's a catchy headline, but it's an attempt at being provocative, I guess. It comes after months of reflecting on what the fashion industry really needs. I've personally come down to being quite tired of many of the solutions that have been put forward in the past few years uh, when it comes to kind of, quote unquote, saving the fashion industry. Now, before we go into any of them, I'd like to acknowledge that I am as guilty as anyone of promoting these kind of sustainability trends of the fashion industry. Um, We've been writing about many of these trends in the feeds of Scandinavian Mind. I've been promoting them in the podcast and in my columns. But let's just go through some of them. So the notion is, of course, that we like visionary things. We like visionary ideas of how to change the fashion industry. You know, it's an industry that has huge sustainability problems, producing hundreds of billions of garments every year with an overproduction of somewhere around 30%. So with that, it's such an enormous task in steering this giant vessel that is the fashion industry into something more sustainable. So it's not strange that we keep looking at new shiny ideas on how to change it. You know, one of them being gaming. You know, I do see a potential of migrating some of the needs for for kind of novelty and identity into gaming and and quote unquote the metaverse. You know, I have a 13-year-old daughter. She keeps buying skins for her avatars online. And that to me is an expression of fashion. But I don't see it having any significant impact on the wider fashion industry for at least five to ten years. I think we need to see Generation Alpha grow up and be consumers until that makes a dent on the market. Then we have resell. Of course, we need to be more aware of how we consume. And I applaud the younger generations that have much higher tolerance and even preference for vintage than Gen Xers and Boomers. I'm personally obsessed with vintage Levi's and kind of decades-old field jackets, but the rise of secondhand seems to be like an inevitable consequence of a market flooded with products. And to be honest, not much innovation happening there. Resell to me is just another word for retail. And then we have rental. I mean, come on. We have seen a slew of rental services come up and die in the last few years. So far, no one has cracked the code. Rent the Runway is constantly struggling with profitability and almost all of the fashion rental startups that uh, have come from Scandinavia are now sadly bankrupt. And then we have material innovations. And this is a topic that's very close to my heart. Uh, We've had many of the Nordic material innovations companies at the Transformation Conference the past few years. Companies like Infinite Fiber, Renewcell, Spinova. These are great companies doing great things. Uh, We also have once more in the south of Sweden. I mean, this is really needed. 
and innovations in fiber technologies and recycled practices are crucial for the potential of a circular fashion system. But many of the current players are now faced with the challenge of scaling their business models. And this struggle is actually real from my understanding. So this is something that's needed, but the capacity of some of these factories are far less than what the fashion industry needs globally. So what we need is something much more immediate and concrete. What we need is to tweak the current fashion system. We need to decrease gut feeling decisions and increase accountability. We need to implement new kinds of software that will help us sharpen supply chains, streamline operations, increase sell-through, minimize overproduction, and reduce waste. Basically, all the boring stuff happening in the background of the industry. That's where the real dent is going to come from when making the fashion system more sustainable. So I would argue that right now, And in the next couple of years, especially ahead of the upcoming EU legislations that by all accounts are going to come into effect by 2026 or 2027, it's actually the SaaS companies, the software as a service companies that are looking like fashion's saviors. Now, we are working with a couple of them here at Scandinavian Mind. We've previously done events and helped fashion tech upstart Impulso in their activities There's a data operator from Finland called Ioxio that's doing really interesting stuff that we are helping at the moment. And we have companies like Eon from the US that are coming into the market with their software, with their services, trying to help make the fashion industry much more streamlined, much more effective. And that's where we'll see the real change in the next few years. All right, that was my little rant. I will just add that I do see uh, an increased interest from the venture capital community on this issue as well. I get asked a lot uh, about my VC friends, about which companies to invest in and where the interesting opportunities are. And of course, you know, if an entire industry needs to implement digital product passport solutions, that's a massive opportunity for the tech companies that want to grab it. All right, having said this, let's move into my conversation with Natasha Frank, where we go more in-depth on this very same topic. Here now, my conversation with Natasha Frank, founder and CEO of Eon. Enjoy. All right, I am here with Natasha Frank, founder and CEO of Eon. Natasha, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon in Stockholm and good morning in New York City. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. I have a ton of questions. And the reason I want to have you on is going to talk about the digitization of the fashion industry and and the many aspects of that. Uh, Our listeners know there's a lot happening on the EU legislation front. We have been talking about the concept of a digital product passport on this show before. Uh, we do get a lot of questions uh, on this topic from our readers and, and the audience that we serve. And um, I had a chance to, to meet with you, Natasha, just a few weeks before Christmas to kind of get a sense of your guys' journey. And what I find fascinating is you are an American company with uh, quite a lot of runway on these some of these topics. So I'm going to just let you explain or introduce yourself and your company Mm -hmm. to begin with and and we can kind of get into some of the the talking points that I have. Amazing. Well, thank you for having me. This is really exciting. Um, I guess you've given a little bit of introduction to me, but I'm Natasha, founder and CEO of Eon, and we are what we describe as a CRM for products. So providing brands the solution to digitize their products and capitalize on their products, their physical products in entirely new ways. And yes, this is the digital product passport legislation forthcoming, but this is also the internet of things for fashion, right? So it is an entirely new way of thinking and engaging and an entirely new way that customers, businesses, resellers, policymakers will interact with our physical world. And it's just a really exciting time. Before we get into kind of the details of everything, I'm curious to hear your take on it from almost like a philosophical point of view, because I know you are fired up about the notion of of kind of creating this kind of digital twin of a product. Why Mm -hmm. 
is this important? And, and mentioned as many and as few reasons as you like, as you wish. But why are you excited about this? Yeah, I mean, I love that beginning because for me, that's actually where Eon began. You know, it started seven years ago, and I was just really mesmerized, almost from a conceptual point of view. Not really setting out to start a, a big tech company with the impact of digital twins. Um, on sustainability within the fashion industry um, and really all industries and the idea that basically today the industry produces um, you know billions of products every year and these products sort of everything we create kind of disappears into the universe and where does it go and where are those materials and how are we utilizing them and then we get stuck in the same model right the fashion industry in order to make more money has to produce more product and we talk a lot about ESG measurement and sustainable business model transformation but the only way that we can actually achieve any of that is if brands can generate more revenue while producing less product and so really to me that the idea of the digital twin unlocked that massive sustainable business model transformation in that it turns those physical products into intelligent assets that can be transparent, that can be stewarded through multiple lives, um, that create an ongoing connection between brands and customers. And one of the ways that we've thought about it from inception at Eon is, you know, if you look at digital twins, your, your Google Maps is a di digital twin of your city and your Uber is a digital twin of your car and your Airbnb is a digital twin of your home and all of these different sort of services unlock the utility of those assets. Um, and I think that's the shift that we're going to see for apparel. Um, and this, the legislation is, of course, driving that adoption tipping point. The other things driving the adoption tipping point is that customers can now natively connect to any physical product from their mobile device, that new businesses like resale are thriving. So there are all these different factors that are converging to push this tipping point for um, intelligent products in the industry. I feel like the, like the time is now for this concept. Mm -hmm. and I, you, You've been around for, for uh, was it seven <laughs> years? Uh, which also means you've been around for a couple of hype cycles of different concepts mm. around, you know, metaverse and NFTs, and I, I'm I'm guessing that that kind of passed through your your journey a, as well. Um, can you talk? And, and I do think I want to get into kind of the challenges of of actually selling this onto the fashion industry, which is a surprisingly analog industry in many ways. But when you started with Eon conceptually, and can you talk a little bit about how how the journey has has been the past seven years and how has the product changed at all? Mm. Yeah, it is amazing to see the change. Like when I started, there was, um, there was no word digital ID. There was no word digital product passport. And the entire sustainability industry was just focused on materials. Right? Mm. It was all about new materials. It wasn't about data and it wasn't about technology. Which is, and a lot of the sustainability people, when I would introduce Eon, would be very averse to, okay, this is a technology solution, this is data, this is about, you know, all of these new tools. Um, and so within that time, and also then as a company, we had to survive all the different hype cycles of investment, right? We had to survive the NFT wave. We had to survive the metaverse wave, you know? We had to kind of continue to look for capital for throughout that period of time for what was not a on-trend concept, you know? Um, but it really is, you know, after, after hype cycles of tech, it comes back to what is the utility of the technology, right? And those kind of technologies never go out of style, but they're uh, functional. And so now, as through years of sort of proving this, brands are starting to see, wow, this technology actually offers value to my core business and enables me to um, generate revenue and value and save costs in new ways. And that kind of technology then becomes sort of embedded and adopted and moves beyond a you know, hype cycle technology. So I think that's what we're seeing now with the digital product passport and the implementation of what we call a product cloud into a brand's tech infrastructure. But it is definitely a long journey to get there. And I think one of the things that makes it quite challenging, but also incredibly exciting for this, is it's so cross-disciplinary, right? If you're going to introduce a digital product passport or connected product effectively, you are involving the product team. 
you are involving the marketing team, you're involving the sustainability team, you're involving the IT team, you're involving the data team, you're involving the CRM team, right? Those are five major departments that are involved mm. in the deployment, right? And organizations like to make decisions in one department unilaterally and not cross-functionally. And you know, when you see Eon, it is offering value to every different department within an organization. And that means every different department has to be involved and sign off. And so it's really a systems change. Um, and you see all the value to those different departments, which is incredibly exciting, but it's, it's um, not designed for the faint of heart you know, to start to implement at scale. No, I, I can appreciate that, and and that's I wanted to get into that because it's my experience also. Uh, you know, many fashion brands just don't have the the technological maturity or understanding mm -hmm. to to some of these concepts, and and to make it more you know even more difficult. To, to your point, you also need to engage so many different parts of the organization mm -hmm. because they all have to sort of pitch in from from their point of view. How, how do you go about doing this? I'm I'm curious. Like, yeah, you know, you have some successful, uh, you know, case studies you've done with with you know major, you know, luxury fashion brands. Happy to get into those, but I'm also curious about the 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 companies that you engage with that are perhaps not so, you know, uh, yeah. forward leaning. That are that, that you know don't mm -hmm. understand this. They don't know how to tackle this. And and because I, I I really want to talk about that. And please use the case studies, but I want to talk about it because I do think it's an important inflection point. There's so much kind of worry and insecurity out there, and, and there mm -hmm. is a kind of raising of awareness that needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think everything begins with working with the client with that initial trust, right? You trust us that we are the subject matter expert, that we've done this before, um, that we've done this before at scale with both luxury mass market and fast fashion clients, right? So that is first like the baseline of the engagement, right? And um, then from there, we really, we set up, we work with the client to set up a cross-functional task force, right? So we help them kind of identify which stakeholders need to, you know, it's not like it's a lot of work for them, right? Eon is doing the work. They just need to sort of be aware, weigh in, you know, embed their requirements um, and know what's coming, right? Like if you're running a resale business for a brand and you're not aware of how the digital product passport is going to enable you to accelerate that resale business, then you're at a disadvantage, right? So it's mm. more that we want to make sure all the stakeholders within the organization are aware of this happening because they're going to be wanting to use it, right? If you're running authentication or brand control for a company, you want to make sure that you're also sitting in on the DPP working session because that's going to be part of your digital ID. So it's just that these stakeholders need to be aware of that kind of initiative happening within the brand. Um, I would say too that we, you know, it's taken a long time to build that kind of credibility. And one thing that's been quite exciting is Eon has been working directly with the EU Commission's Surpass 2 consortium, where they've selected six technology partners over the next, I guess, 18 months to pilot the digital product passport legislation, right? And they selected that from many, many companies um, applying globally to, to do that. Um, and Eon was selected along with five other companies to, to shape that for the, and it is a cross sector, so it includes electronics, batteries, and you know, fashion textiles is one of the verticals as well. Um, so we are really saying, you know, we have you on policy and compliance, right? We are best in class on that, but we need to make sure that you go beyond policy and compliance too, in, and you have, not, not necessarily that you have to do that today, but that you have the the data infrastructure to do that when you're ready. So I think that's the other thing is because it's multi-dimensional, brands can be quite easily overwhelmed, right? Oh, wow, I can do this with the technology, I can do that. And part of our job is to say, is to sequence it for them, right? First, you're gonna link the digital and the physical. Then you're gonna add on this customer experience. Then once you have a meaningful volume of products digitized, you're gonna connect it to a resale partner. Then you're gonna link this upstream information about you know, this measurement, right? So you're continuously building this journey rather than um, you know, being paralyzed, which I think is quite common, by the expansive nature of it. Right. Uh, 
do you have any example from the the various companies that you work with that you that you want to mm-hmm. mention as a as a successful kind of case study? And and I have more questions on the on the yeah. Surpass two pilot. But just going back to what you've done so far, I'm I'm curious uh, some some learnings, yeah. uh, some reactions you had from the industry. Yeah, one example might be um, Coach and Tapestry Group. Um, you know, they have linked their, uh, they're on a, a roadmap to be, um, to implement the digital product passport within all of their products. And, you know, they have really built that stage journey, right? They have linked the digital and the physical. So each of the products has an embedded data carrier in the form of an NFC, right? Each product has a customer experience. Each product includes all of the upstream, you know, information each product will soon connect to a resale partner, right? And they'll announce a service for customers in that regard. Um, Each product has a registration so the user can register and kind of claim ownership of that product. And that's been a journey to build over, you know, I'd say two and a half years, right? To move that throughout their entire collection um, and their, their product portfolio. And now that they have the ID, they can add more and more functionality. Right? And all of the products that are out in the wild can now be embedded with that functionality. You know, so that's also a different way to think about it. Fashion brands, and I think this is where you get into the most exciting thing about the industry, is like today the relationship between brand and customer ends at point of sale. Right? It's a transactional relationship. Now what Coach is doing is they're really building this transformational relationship with the customer that continues long beyond point of sale. The customer's ready to resell the product. Coach is offering that service. They're re-engaging that user. They're saying, sell this and get this, right? They're moving into really a more service-based. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that is what the, the digital product passport in its most um, sort of elevated sense is meant to facilitate. And then what's incredible about that is that is the shift into sustainable business model transformation, right? Today, a brand sells a product, you know, well, I'll back up one second to say when you look at sort of the enterprise technology stack within the industry, right, everybody knows that you need a CRM, right? You need a a sales force, right, or something to uniquely ID the customer, to manage the customer lifecycle, and to increase the customer lifetime value. Right, you're like, uh, duh, you know, like I don't, that's obvious. We believe, Eon, we describe ourselves as a PRM, right? A sales force for your products. Because Mm. we believe that the industry in the next few years will be doing exactly the same. They will be uniquely IDing the product, they will be tracking the full product life cycle, and they will be increasing the revenue and data that's generated through each physical product. And I think now, when you know, when I started on this journey, people were like, why am I gonna ID my product, you know? And I think we will, within the next few years, we'll see, and brands who are winning will be the brands that are generating the most revenue per product through its life cycle, right? They'll be generating revenue from their products long after point of sale. They'll be generating data from their products and insights from their customers who are using the products. And they'll basically be gaining competitive advantage by servicing and engaging users long after point of sale. And so I think it's going to be exciting to see that business model shift happening um, simultaneous with that legislation. I mean, here's where it really gets exciting and where it, as I think you, meant, you used the term transformational uh, shift somehow. I mean, uh, how far away are we from, from this? Because uh, I, I, mm. uh, this is something that, that comes up and it's like, well, you kind of, you kind of see it. In, in on the horizon yeah. it's in the future but you you need a kind of a more fundamental shift both from the industry from the the brands to implement some of these technologies but mm-hmm. then also from the customers to start kind of thinking differently about what they're purchasing yeah i don't remember who said it but someone much smarter than me said we overestimate the change that we'll see in seven years and underestimate the change that we'll see in 10. right, right. and i feel like we are on exactly that cusp Mm. Right. Because seven years has been, okay. how do we do this? How do we scale this? How do we build the systems? How do we do this? Right. And then once you have that built, people can plug into that solution and scale. Right. So what do I mean by that? Like Eon has been the first and only technology company to be able to do one click resale. Right. Where you are able to scan that physical product and instantly upload that product for resale. That took years to be able to. So basically you have your, let's say your Chloe bag in your hand, 
right? And you take your phone and you scan the product and you hit resell. And Eon, leveraging our, in this case, connection to Vesture Collective, has all the data and we pre-populate that listing into Vesture Collective. So right. if you think about how easy today we've made it for customers to buy, <laughs> in one click, you can buy, right? Now, talk about reversing the consumption patterns in one click, yeah. we can enable the user to sell. Right now, Eon has worked with Vestier to build that integration and that connection, and now all other brands in the industry can apply that to their products and leverage that. So data networks start to take shape that allow for the acceleration and the full shift of networks, and those networks build you know, new business models. Um, so I think we are really at an adoption tipping point. Look, you're looking at the legislation in 2027. Brands only have a limited amount of time to start to at least get this on their products. Um, and then as they get them, they will you know, really start to leverage all of these new use cases. And I think you know, customer expectations evolve very quickly, right? And as soon, and, and we're seeing now that when customers buy a product, they are actually thinking about the resale value of that product. Right, like I'm gonna be more inclined to spend that if I know that I can recapture that and resell it. And there's a and lot of data. that is something that the, the brands also can include in their communication exactly. at the get-go, right? And so now you know when you buy a product, hey, this product comes with instant resale and we as a brand will provide you a seamless, frictionless way to resell that product and recapture that value. And mm. so that I think is gonna become a, you know, customers are gonna to start to expect that brands offer them that. So, I mean, you mentioned also uh, brands are able to kind of create data or amass data during the, the, the product life cycles. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk at all about sort of the, 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 the behind the scenes of this? Where is this data stored? Who owns the data? Yeah. Uh, is there worry around, uh, uh, you know, how much consumers are, are kind of uh, generating data that, that's being owned by corporations? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Give us a sense of how that works. Yeah. No, I think people hear data and it's just like this big scary <laughs> kind of word yeah. and thing and space. And um, I would say how we think of it is this is all, I mean, when you're working with a solution like Eon, you're mainly working with product data, right? So one of the most important things is customer privacy, right? This is all product data that we're talking about. So we are not really bringing in customer data into your digital twin. Um, customer data can be captured by Eon and then it gets pushed into your CRM, right? Or your, your um, Salesforce or what have you. Um, but basically, there's a whole, like most software today is designed in vertical applications, right? You have point of sale, you have data capture from the factory, you have a supplier portal, you have all of these vertical applications, you have your reseller that separate data. Now, Eon is one of the first horizontal product data layers. Right, where we are actually creating the digital twin at inception, right? and I'll talk about that process. And then we connect all of the data sources throughout that product life cycle. So when that product arrives at um, the retail station, an event can be recorded, this product was sold. Then the product arrives in the hands of the customer and the user engages and that customer you know, resold it. All those events become part of that product's ID, because the digital ID is following the product's life cycle, which is horizontal, right? So it's a kind of a new way of thinking about tech where you need to really bring in your enterprise architects to say how we're creating this digital twin at inception and linking every stage of the product life cycle into that digital twin. Um, and that's where you're really gonna see this sort of dramatic shift in value too. Because now, like if you're a brand, you're probably working with tons of different data sheets. Your pain point is like, okay, how are we capturing this data? How are we you know, running this compliance module? And then also how are we sharing this data to our resale partner, right? And then to our customer. So you have sort of, you have this chunk of data on the back end. You have many different systems that are at the SKU level, right? You're, that manage data at the SKU level. Now you have all of these new legislations that are requiring you to manage data at the item level that are requiring you to share this information to many different users. So how do you do that, right? Basically, that's Eon's specialty. We ingest data from multiple different types of systems. So we'll take your data from your PLM, your 
uh, supplier portal and your material traceability, right? Because all of those different data sources you will need in order to deliver on DPP compliance. And you right. need a system to manage the data around the product at the item level. Many of the other systems are based on managing product data at the SKU level, right? Your PLM. And many of those other data systems have all different you know, data silos in relation to the product. And so we'll work with a brand. Some brands are further along. Maybe they've set up their own internal data lake. Maybe they haven't. But we'll work with a brand to first organize that product data. right? Then we'll take that data and we'll link it to the physical product. right? So that digital twin is in the cloud. The data is in the cloud. And now it has to be connected to the physical product in some way with, let's say, an NFC or a QR code or an RFID. Mm. And most of our clients have multiple data carriers back to a single product. Right? So a product will have an RFID for the B2B and a QR code for the customer. Right? And so that to, is uh, the initial... Pause on that. Yeah. Do you have a preferred uh, data carrier? Do you, or are you like agnostic? Yeah, so Eon as a platform is agnostic and where we're seeing the majority of the industry is QR code and RFID. Um, most RFID mm. right now is on the form of the hang tag, but, but we are working on a lot of... Um, and you can download about an 80-page white paper on digital ID for recycling from the Eon website if you're interested, um, uh, eon.xyz slash recycling. Um, and right. you'll find there a full report that basically goes into how the digital ID gets used for recycling. Now, in the next few years, QR code is not really viable for sorting and separating textiles at scale, right? Because you have to individually scan a QR code. With mm. embedded RFID, you can actually have textiles coming in and just being sorted and separated automatically, right, using the RFID. So that's where the industry will want to go in terms of, um, you know, embedded RFID for recycling, but it is not where the industry is today. Um, so we basically, when we set up clients, we um, maximize all the data for those use cases and um, set the products up. But I think in the next few years, as the cost of RFID embedded and washable come down, you'll start to see that become a more normal. And a lot of the work in the surpass pilots um, with the EU, run by the EU Commission or funded by the EU Commission are focused on that um, data exchange in the circular value chain. Got it. No, it's just interesting. I feel like the jury is still out, and there are a lot of interests going into this. Is it, you know, barcodes, QR codes, uh, mm -hmm. uh, whatever? And and I'm sure there. I've also heard um, privacy concerns around some of these technologies. Can you scan them from afar? What does that mean? Can you set up, uh, uh, you know, enough privacy protection uh, on that? Exactly. Yeah, that's why your QR code is your safe bet for today and your NFC, right. right? So the RFID is, you know, kind of as described in the form of the hang tag. So it comes off at point of sale and your QR code and your yeah. NFC are going to be embedded. And those require, you know, um, physical, you know, the, the iPhone has to actually come into contact with that. So it's fully opt-in yeah. in terms of engagement and gives the user full control with to whether they want to, you know, engage with the ID. And again, it but only you don't get that benefit data. of just having a big pile of clothes and <laughs> scanning it no. from afar. And, you know. No, no, no. Definitely not. Got it. So, but continue. I, I feel like I interrupted you there. In no, no, of, not of, at of all. The whole, a, the whole process. Yeah. Um, no, so I'd say once you get that digital twin set up, like I think it's brands, it's very easy to then say, okay, and in terms of their journey, they need to basically have a solution that not only allows them to sort of manage and capture all those data, but then also has all of the solutions built in that they can capitalize on, right? They're going to mm. need policy modules. They're going to perhaps need authentication. They're going to need connections to resellers. They're going to need, you know, the ability to broadcast the data into the customer experience on the scan, into their e-commerce. They need a full system that allows that sort of um, you know, capture and exchange of that sustainable product data at every point in the item's life cycle, as well as all the commercial capabilities around that, right? Does it have authentication? Does it connect to their return management system? Does it sync with their POS, right? So I think there's one way to look at the digital product passport, which is a lot of the, you know, traditional sustainability solutions, right? It's just, um, there's the other way to look at this as, you know, this is 
an enterprise implementation of your, um, you know, that you're preparing and you're also leveraging for business benefit. Yeah. Right. Like your digital product passport legislation is not going to say you have to sync your return management system to this, but if you're doing item level ID, you're definitely going to want to, you know, have that connected. So you have to make sure that when you're designing it, it's, we, we sometimes call it the augmented DPP, right? The, the, um, the sustainability compliance plus the commercial value. Augmented DPP, I really like mm-hmm. that. Can you so let's dive into some kind of examples of how you can add value and business models on top of it. You mentioned a couple, but what, what are mm-hmm. some of the some of the examples that you're also more excited about? Yeah, I'd say um, so. Another one is, you know, what I think is is most critical. Sometimes people say, okay, this is for luxury, right? Or this is, um, you know, Eon has worked with companies like uh, Balenciaga, which is part of Karen Group and Chloe, which is part of Richemont Group and really like, you know, luxury, luxury brands, right? But we've also worked with clients like Target and Pangaea, right? And Victoria's Secret and, you know, brands at, at various different price points. And what we're seeing is the impact is really just as transformational there. Right. So you may do something like um, when you have a QR code on the product, the customer can reorder, right? One click reorder or how do I style this? Right. And so you're actually um, embedding in the product the ability to drive multiple transactions. Right. So imagine for your intimates or your socks or what have you, you're you're in your closet and it's time for a new pair and you can in two clicks with Apple Pay just instantly reorder that product. And also, you know, let that brand know that you're finished with that and engage in their recycling or circular system. So I think it's, it's exciting to see the, the combination. I also think digital ID is perhaps even the most critical for mass market brands, right? Like if you're a luxury brand, you can make money on the resale of your product without product ID, right? Because the products are so valuable. If you're a mass market client, like imagine trying to run H&M or any other big global brand without a barcode. You would never think of it. You would never think to run an organization without product ID. Yet somehow when it comes to resale, I don't know what happened, but the world seems to think you could possibly run resale profitably without ID. And you have probably, Conrad, I know you know this, you've seen all the headlines, is resale profitable? Well, no, of course not. Like, it is not profitable today because there's no enabling technology. There's no product ID to make it profitable for mass market clients. Now with the ID, with Eon, a mass market client can have the ID in the product, the customer could scan, they could upload it into eBay, and the original brand could capture a percentage of revenue through that. And that's what we call the Eon Exchange, where we're building the connection between brands and resale partners. Now, what is, and the brand may not choose to leverage a third party, but they might. Now, what's very powerful is the digital ID is allowing brands to steward these products back through um, revenue generating resale channels. And it's also allowing it to be intelligent. So let's say right now a brand runs a resale program and they may be partnered with, let's say, XYZ resale partner right? That brand sells products throughout the world. So it's crazy to think that, you know, I'm, I won't name a brand, but I'm X brand and I partnered with Y reseller who has facilities in X location. And now every product that I sell globally has to be resold through this place. Like that's just not how the world works. Of course, that's not going to be profitable. I can't ship every product back to Stockholm where I originally bought this jacket, you know? And so now with the product ID, when I buy the jacket in Stockholm and I'm back in New York City, I can then scan the product and the digital ID uses my location to then say, this is where this item can instantly be resold. Right? So you're embedding all of the intelligence. You're making the product the center of the system instead of making a partnership the center of the system. Do you know what I mean? And then you can actually use that data to optimize and say, this user is in this location. This is the best resale venue nearby. This is the most frictionless service. This is the least shipping cost. You know, this is a peer-to-peer because the product's not expensive enough, or it should be managed resale because it's a premium product, right? You're using Mm. all data to make decisions real time about how that product's resold, and that's going to make this incredibly profitable. 
that's super interesting. I've never heard anyone describe it like that. And and you know, obviously, uh, I think the the notion of resale and even renting is still it's still not cracked in terms of uh, it, how do we actually solve this on a scale level. Totally. Uh, there are many different innovations out there, and I always, you know, maybe you can if you have any thoughts on renting, I'll, I'll be happy to hear that as well. But to me, there's it is, it's almost like there's a missing piece of the puzzle somehow. There's yes. a missing scale. There's a missing something, and you just described it uh, very eloquently. I mean, I think the digital twin is going to unlock a whole new world of passive renting, buying, sharing. Right. So, I used to work before Eon in you know urban planning and looking at, <coughs> oops, sorry, Conrad, um, the future of like housing. And one of the things that was so interesting is we're obviously all living in smaller and smaller apartments and sharing more and more resources. And mm. some of the urban planning projects we were working on were all about, you know, uh, shared facilities where there were, um, you know, kitchens that had all of the things that people could rent out and share out. And for all those systems to work, any sharing system relies on product ID, right? And so if the world, if, if the circular economy is really sort of in some essence the sharing economy, it's about making sure that every product is kept at highest and best use. You're, you're, you're renting this shirt, you're checking it out, you're checking it back in, and it needs an ID, you know? Just like back in the day, I'll age myself, but when we used to go to the movies and on a Friday to Blockbuster and we'd check out the movie and we'd check it back in, like it had a barcode, yeah. you know? It had some way that you ID it. And to me, honestly, like that was what gave me the, you know, the, I guess, energy to persist is in some way this just felt so obvious to cr circularity, right? It's just so critical. You cannot, you would not dream to start any business at scale without, and the circular economy is the largest global logistics challenge in the world. Like it needs IDs, which is really what the DPP is in some essence. Fascinating. Can you give it, I mean, there's, there's a lot of data that has to be kind of deployed and shared mm -hmm. and transferred and, you know, being visible for many different types of, of stakeholders. Um, not to get too technical, but I'm curious how you see kind of the data market evolving based based on this. And yeah. and uh, in terms of Eon is, uh, I'm sorry if I should have done my research right, but is the data stored at Eon or is the data stored with the, the brand or how, how, how does this Wonderful question. Work? Yeah. So we can do, you know, we basically are a cloud system. So we're built in the cloud and we, um, the, when the brand works with Eon, they own all their data, right? It's just like when you sign up for Salesforce, you, you're not worried that mm. Salesforce owns that data. It's your data. They're just managing and providing you software to capitalize on it, right? And drive different capabilities and, um, use cases. So yes, when brands work with Eon, they own, we've done platform as a service deployments and we've done, you know, we, uh, software as a service deployments, um, but brands always own all of their product data and they are able to monetize that product data. And basically, um, if anyone who's working in a brand knows, you know, is working on all of the different policy and compliance initiatives, they know how granular the product data needs to be, right? They know how organized it needs to be. They know how many different places it need, needs to be shared and exchanged and how one data point in a single format is, is many different things. Right. So you will need and I think what's happening today is brands are really struggling to deliver on that product data management. Right. So they will need to um, manage that digital. And, and th what the digital twin does is it provides them one place to manage it. Right. So that they can now say, hey, I, here's all my product data. Is this product compliant against Azure? Can I instantly share this product data with Zalando, right? Because they need these data points. Oh, my reseller needs these data points. Oh, Google search needs these set of data points. You know, basically it provides them one place to drive all of the product capabilities rather than this very fragmented approach. So when we work with a brand, we set up that product data for them so that they can automate all those business processes in relation to the product data. Wonderful. So um, we met in Stockholm uh, 
few weeks before Christmas. I think you've been back to Europe at least uh, two times now mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when we've been trying to schedule this this call. Uh, how do you see Europe developing for, for E.ON? And, and uh, obviously because of the Surpass 2 project and the work you do with the Commission and, and the new legislations coming out, um, is is like is EU the place where where Eon is gonna you know really break or, or yeah. are you working on both markets simultaneously? Yeah, I'd say um, I mean EU. So Eon has an entity in the EU. We have you know I'd say more than half of our team is in the EU. Um, the EU is so much further ahead than the U.S. in terms of mm-hmm. um, you know sustainable legislation, and it's really inspiring to watch and take part of. Um, and but you know most of the brands and clients that we work with operate globally, right? And there are U.S. legislative initiatives like the Digital Care Label, right? You know, and there are more more coming. So what I think is exciting about Eon is you know to service our clients, we have to be global. We have to make sure that the solution meets requirements of every different geography. And I also think um, you know there's interesting things because the U.S. doesn't have this. Um, compliance checklist, right, to say, oh, we have to do the DPP for compliance. It's actually pushed Eon to say, to make sure that we're delivering a lot of commercial value, right? Right. Because we can't go into a just a brand that just sells in the U.S. and say, oh, you have to do this for compliance. So we have to say the ROI of your digital ID will be this, you know? And so Eon has basically for many years been able to deliver on, yes, the compliance, but also build really strong business case for our clients that um, go to their CFOs and say, okay, yes, this is how we want to deploy because not only are we going to be best in class in sustainability, but also this is, you know, the various commercial benefits across multiple different disciplines within the organization. So I'd say it's, it's good to have that market for us because it makes, and then we get to bring that insight into our EU clients. We, we, I'm going to wrap up soon, but I have a couple of questions I just want to get, get, get in here. One mm-hmm. is, you know, what would your recommendation be to a, you know, let's say a medium-sized fashion brand that is very worried about what's happening, don't know where to start, don't know kind of how to learn, go about doing this, you know, mm-hmm. aside from obviously, you know, talking to you guys, but what do you think they should do to prepare themselves for, 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 for this shift? Yeah, um, I'd say one of the most helpful things that, that are tools um, is sort of like a data gap analysis, right, of um, understanding. And, you know, if you wanted, we can send you something on that, which is just a, an exercise that we do with clients is on their product data, um, understanding what data they have, what data they should have, and, and where they're trying to go with that um, DPP. And that can be also, or where they're trying to go for AGEC, right? The French law, right? They can really, like, mm. we have, we offer them sort of a full suite of policy modules so they can start to evaluate their product data against many policies all at once and then pick out where they want to invest. Um, so I'd say the other thing about the DPP is you know that it's going to be about linking the digital and the physical world, right? So even getting that set up as a first step, there is so, like, that just that process of getting that QR code designed, embedded into the physical product is a huge step, right? And you will be continuously enriching that ID with data. I'd say that's the other thing. Brands think, oh, I need all the data to begin with my digital ID. No, actually, like you should start linking the digital and the physical because we are going to be working with you on upstream traceability for a long time, right? There are going to be continuously more and more requirements coming, right? And it's going to get more and more granular. But you need to set up this sort of um, this, this sort of hub where you can start to push all that data. And then also that helps you be targeted about actually what upstream data you need rather than just sort of blindly collecting in a way that's not aligned to actually the legislative requirements and and what you'll eventually need to broadcast. Um, So that would be my one recommendation. And the other would be, you know, build a really strong business case. Right. Look at how you're, you know, delivering value to the organization. I think that sometimes sustainability teams are, you know, just looking at this from a compliance perspective, and that does make it hard to get the budget to do so. Mm-hmm. But you need to make sure, like, this needs to be financially sustainable. This needs to deliver profit to your organization, um, so that you can be 
you know, financially sustainable. And so work with your partner to build that strong commercial business case around your digital ID. And that will basically ensure that it pays for itself. Those are good tips. Um, just finally, uh, a few words on your personal journey. You've, you've now run this for seven years. Uh, what are you most excited about in the next kind of phase of the Eon journey as an entrepreneur, uh, okay. you know, delivering this, this technology to the industry? Um, I'd say there's the, the personal aspect, which is that I'm so excited about the team's growth and, you know, our, ge our geographic expansion and kind of what's happening next internally for us as a company. You know, there's just so much that we've all done together working as a team for seven years. I'm very proud of the team and I'm very excited for where we'll be able to, to go next together. Um, and then there's the industry aspect, which is just, it just feels like it's, you know, Conrad, you said it, like it feels like it's happening now. And we feel very lucky to be, you know, leading that transition. Um, and we feel very lucky to be working on brands and building the use cases that actually capitalize because one thing that's important to remember is creating the digital ID is just the beginning, right? What your ID actually does, what it connects to, what value it offers is really what's coming next. And I think now we're getting into the space with the industry of value. Um, and, and that's a really exciting shift to see. So yeah, I just feel like it's a really wonderful, you know, I know it's hard to be optimistic in today's world, but it does feel like there are some really exciting transformational shifts that could happen um, to change business models, processes, um, and that's exciting. Natasha Frank, founder and CEO of Eon, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Thank you. All right. All right, that was Natasha Frank, founder and CEO of Eon, speaking to me from her office in Manhattan in New York. All right, again, these are topics that we are fully committed to covering in Scandinavian Mind during 2024. And we are just now talking to all our partners about setting up the transformation conference for the summer. Uh, it's going to be as per usual in Helsinki end of May and in Stockholm end of August. We're also looking to add another city to the roster, Copenhagen. So if you or your company are interested in collaborating with us on the Transformation Conference, talking about fashion tech, having tech companies meeting the fashion industry and uh, investors, do reach out. It would be, we love to collaborate with the industry. And until then... Sign up to our newsletter, visit scandinaviamind.com slash newsletter not to miss out on any content and events. Upcoming, we have the Virtual Creativity Live, our uh, live interview podcast series at the Lincoln Co. Showroom in Stockholm. Uh, coming to you on February the 21st. It's Wednesday next week. So if you're in town, um, uh, drop by, go to our website or sign up to our newsletter to get the invite and, and just RSVP. We'd love to see you there. Till next week, bye. <laughs>